Hello, it's Fangraphs Audio, Carson Sestouli. This is another Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio featuring lead prospect writer of Fangraphs, Kylie McDaniel. And what follows Kylie McDaniel will analyze baseball prospects. With particular emphasis, in this case, the Minnesota Twins. The prospect lists for which club McDaniel released earlier this week. We will hear uh, immediately. First is McDaniel's voice, an, an excerpt from the conversation that follows, an amusing musical interlude, and then the meat of our conversation. This will end McDaniel's voice briefly, musical interlude, conversation that is meat. Thank you. See, I was going to sing the Rawhide song, but I, the only words I know for the song Rawhide is the word Rawhide. So... Maybach music. Take a little interlude to clear my mind. Oh, you know? uh, just hanging out in the lake. You know me, me in the lake. Just hanging out in the lake. You sent me a photo of the lake. It looked great. Yeah, it still looks like that. It's great. I could send you another, but it would look much the same. Much the same. What is the? Uh, doesn't it? Does it get the summer there? Is it muggy? Is it muggy in the summer? Yeah, I well, see, this is something maybe you have a different experience than me. Um, I grew up. I've lived in Florida all but two years of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's normal to me. When, like, I, for instance, if I'm in a restaurant and it's like maybe a little on the cold side, like 68 degrees instead of 72, and I walk outside and it's like 95 degrees with 100% humidity, it feels good to me. Like mm-hmm. it's a relief. Whereas for most people, they walk out and they're like, oh God, I hate Florida. And I'm so used to it that it's like comforting. Right. Whereas if I'm like in New York City and it's like 55, I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't like having to wear extra layers. When I, <laughs> which I think most people are the opposite of that. Yeah, I would say that's probably case. case uh, at least places, if they're from those, if they're from the Northeast certainly or northern places. I, um, my wife lived for a little while in Brazil in a town called Belém, Brazil, which is very close to the equator. Some people think it's Bacol, but it's not. It's. Say it again. Some people think it's Bacool, but it's totally not. But it's, but it's Belém instead, is what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's it's. I was letting the letting the listener do. Yeah, the it's hard because I didn't because it's actually spelled B E L E M. And oh, so, Beleme is what I would say. Yeah. yeah, but so it was. I was. I did not have the phonetic, but that's very sharp, Kylie. Very sharp. Point to Kylie McDaniel. This, not a great this point. This is what the lake does to me. Yeah, it was. Um, <clears throat> The, uh, and people would, it was so very humid there, and people would take, uh, multiple showers. They would take multiple showers per day, really. And I'm curious if one is, uh, compelled to do that living, living where you live. No, we just all accept that we're gonna smell bad. Oh, okay. Alright, fair enough. It's, fair it's enough. simple. Yeah. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. I didn't, well, here, uh, well, I have a couple of housekeeping notes uh, if, oh, if you're please. looking for content here. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I have some ideas, but yeah, go ahead. I mean, whatever. Yeah, loose ideas. Um, so the first one was uh, make sure you're sitting down. Uh, when I put up the twins list today, uh, a number of commenters and some Twitter people said, oh, you forgot so-and-so. Yeah. Uh, thinking like, oh, I already included a tie when he's down the list. They're probably just thinking of somebody else or some guy that sucks and they're spelling his name wrong or they didn't control F for his name or whatever. So I ignored it. 
then I was texting with a scout today that was at Twins Instructs, and basically everything he saw luckily matched up with what I had. Uh, and then I went back and sort of updated some of my notes on some of the lower guys that his notes were different than mine. And then I noticed the Taiwanese guy that I thought was on the list wasn't on there, and they were talking about the one that I was going to put on there, but that I didn't. Mm-hmm. So, so the commenters were right. I feel terrible. Yeah, you feel terrible. I mean, you really yeah. biffed it. You biffed it hard. And I and I listed 49 players, so he then became the 50th. That's a deep uh, – well, I don't know if that's the deepest. Yeah, it seems among the deepest, though, because yeah. you have like 28 main guys, something like that. Yep, and then whatever, there will be 22, I guess, uh, extra guys. Yeah. yeah. I believe that is the deepest by a couple a couple guys. And there, the other thing is the Diamondbacks list, uh, some people thought, was sort of propped up by – there were like five guys ranked on their list that they had just traded for because they dumped some guys, so it's kind of artificially pumped it up. Right. And the, the Twins, I think the only guy they've traded for recently was Jason Adam, who they got for Willingham, and Jason Adam didn't even make that list. So, uh, so these are. So it's really, all, it's all homegrown, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, they've had some decent uh, draft positions of late, I think. Yes. Yeah. But they've also, I mean, having the depth obviously doesn't matter if you hit your, your, your top, you know, 40 overall picks, they're all going to be on that list anyway. Right. But the, the depth comes from good Latin program and, uh, and developing guys and picking guys. The, uh, you, you noted, and this is curious, that, that what they have, among their draft picks from 2014, what was it? Eight guys. Eight. Eight of their first ten picks were pitchers. We're all, were all pitchers, and the scouts I talked to think all eight of them are relievers. And they and they believe that they're all relievers. What merely because they throw hard, or because they throw hard and lack of a third pitch, command, delivery, things like that. Some of them are going to start for the next two, maybe three years in the minors, so there's still a chance one of them will be, and I think the Twins are actually explicitly uh, developing two or three of them as starters and saying we think he can start, but readily admit, yeah, he might not, but we're start, we're, we're going to go at a starter. Right. Um, so, but, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting because one of the things I pointed out in the intro, usually I just sort of pick sort of one fact from the list to, uh, to talk about in the intro as if the 5,000 words below aren't enough. Right. Um, the the Twins are historically known as a team that drafts guys that throw 88 to 91 with command and kind of average stuff because they I think their first round pick was a guy like that like four out of five years or something like that and their big league team tended to be guys like that for a while and then in the last like three years their drafts have been completely different and they've been targeting power type more power type arms in Latin America and it seems like this year is the first year, especially given that 2014 draft with a bunch of power arms involved, where the system is like, geez, there's, I think I, I think I said there were 10 guys that have recently hit 98, like in the last six months that are in their system. And all of them, I think, were mentioned. Like they're all like, you know, could be big leaguers, not have no idea where it's going and sit 93 to 94, but hit 98 one day. Like it's, it's pretty good. And there's a couple other guys that are up to 96 or 97 that, you know, if I talk to the right guy, I could probably get them on there. So right. it's interesting to see them shifting and, when you talk to their guys, I talked to most of their execs, and they were saying, I think the drafting pitchability guys is a little overblown. I think it was more sort of, uh, you know, the guys we wanted weren't there, and so we drafted those kinds of guys picking in the back of the first round. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there also has been a bit of a concerted effort to say, get get the arm that we think is a big league arm. If it's a reliever, don't worry about it. We need big league arms. And I remember one of those team, one of those guys specifically said, yeah, you look at the Cardinals. They seem to just have a never-ending flow of guys that throw 95 that come to the big leagues. And they're like, yeah, they seem to be doing a pretty good job. <laughs> Seems to be a pretty good indicator for that might be a good way to do things. Well, yeah, because I guess, right, so there you have eight pitchers, and yeah, they'll probably all become relievers, but if you 
if you develop one as a starter or develop, what, four of them as a starter, then there's a chance that one of those guys uh, develops, he develops the necessary tools to start along the way. Yeah, and also I say reliever, meaning if they make the big leagues, they're a reliever. So most teams, if they draft eight out of their top ten picks are all uh, pitchers, mm-hmm. over half of those would be relievers if they made the big leagues anyway. They might all start as starters and have sort of starter traits, but maybe it's sort of fringy stuff, which plays as like a spot starter swingman kind of guy. Like it's not, it's not as extreme as it appears, and they all got it mentioned in, I guess, what became a top 50. Uh, most of those picks got mentioned because it's like, oh, they went to short season and, you know, through 92 to 95 with an above average slider and they're big. Like kind of hard to not list that guy when we, we're not really sure how it's going to play yet. We know the stuff's there, so. I don't know. I guess we'll see how it plays out, but they got a lot of dudes. I'm curious. Uh, one of the you mentioned that in terms of um, the, the evaluations uh, regarding these eight pitchers, that uh, the overriding thought is that they'll become relievers, and part of that is uh, because of a lack of a third pitch. It does seem as though research, uh, recent research, suggests that um, pitchers who have a splitter or a split type change. Are are generally speaking able to survive? They can be they can be two pitch pitchers and have decent uh, decent success in the major leagues uh, as starters. I'm wondering if uh, if that if if you find that uh, scouts use that sort of language or if or if uh, third pitch is the is still like the number one rule of thumb for a guy becoming a starter or remaining a starter. Yeah, the, I think the whole third pitch thing is, uh, one, it's generally correct, and two, it's sort of a shorthand for other stuff. So, so typically what that means is we got a high school kid or like a teenage Latin guy, and it's 90 to 93, he's 18, above average breaking ball, but it's inconsistent, doesn't have a third pitch. And what that means is not a lot of feel, not a lot of command, can't throw a change up. Like, you know, not that kind of guy. Like, that's sort of what that means. Whereas there's other guys, like me, what you're talking about, like, they have a guy named Steven Gonsalves they took in the third round out of high school. And he's 6'5", uh, big, strong guy, like 88 to 92, will probably throw harder, flash an above-average changeup at times, and, like, can't throw a curveball. And so they're like, he's got some elements of, like, a deceptive with angles kind of pitcher, like a Madison Bumgarner, one of the guys compared his angle to. Uh, they're like, oh, he could probably just, like, learn a cutter. Like, he, he doesn't really know how to spin the ball, but we could probably work on some sort of cutter or something that's sort of, you know, not a pitch that demands a guy that has elite spin on his breaking ball to sort of do that, which you see a lot of do. Uh, I mean, Restaurant Loiza seemed to be the first guy that he just picked up a cutter all of a sudden and took off, and then people started sort of copying him. And similarly, if there's a guy that's a fastball, breaking ball, the traditional guy I'm talking about, some of those guys can develop a cutter with some sink or splitter and kind of get by. But in general, if it's that guy that doesn't have a third pitch as a stand, I put it in air quotes, as a stand-in for they lack these sorts of skills, mm-hmm. oh, okay, teach, yeah. teaching them a splitter doesn't t- teach them those skills. Like Nick Birdie, this guy that uh, they took in the second round that throws 102, uh, has an average changeup. He technically has the stuff to start, but he doesn't really have the feel or delivery and that kind of stuff. So, like, he's... Kind of that guy, but technically has a third pitch, but he still sort of fits in that bucket of that kind of guy. One of, one of the things that you'll hear, this is no surprise about, uh, pitchers, it's in particular when they're, uh, when you're reading evaluation and, and the ideas that they will become relievers or, or, or they, they project to be relievers at the major league level is a question of effort in the delivery. Uh, you say, yeah. oh, he's got a high, uh, high effort delivery. I'm curious if there's ever a case 
of a pitcher who entered the minor leagues with a high effort delivery, uh, and yet uh, the organization was able to work with him to uh, f- f- to help him uh, be able to reproduce a lower effort delivery with the with a view to helping him um, remain a starter. Yes. Um, so another, one of the things uh, sometimes scouts will make fun of other scouts and say, <laughs> "I know it's a fun idea." Um, it's easy to say, uh, "Hey, this like there's good examples." A guy named Carson Fulmer. It's going to go in the first round this year. Pitches at Vanderbilt. Uh, who was a high school kid in Lakeland about an hour away from me, so I've, I've seen him a lot. Um, so in high school, he's like six foot, two ten, like, you know, looks like a running back kind of guy. Has one of the t- most bad deliveries you can see out of a high schooler. He's up to like 96, 97, above average across the board, three pitches. Uh, but his, what they call a head whack, so mm-hmm. like as the ball's coming out of his hand, it, it, as his, as his arm is delivering the ball, he's looking at the catcher, and then by the time the ball is out of his hand, his head is, like, hitting himself in, like, the chest. It's like, like a the, violent uh, yeah. violent torque of the head. It's like head banging, but only once, not a bunch of times, to, like, make your sweet hair look nice. Yeah, right. So, in high school, uh, he was, like, a first, second round kind of guy, stuff-wise, and he's, like, a really good athlete, has never been hurt, can throw a bunch of pitches, like, checks all the boxes... But the command was not quite what you want it to be, and the delivery was terrible. And so obviously scouts can look at that and be like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to spend a million dollars on that guy because going to Vanderbilt, he had a high price tag. So the Red Sox took him, I think offered him like seven fifty, like almost paid him a million, and he turned it down. He goes to Vanderbilt, is the guy that every area scout thought he was going to be, turns into a shutdown closer. And then last year he was a sophomore. He switches to the rotation at the end of the year. And I saw him at Florida, and so I hadn't seen him yet, but I knew he'd had a couple good starts. And so some of the scouts are like, are they just moving him to starter because their starters are tired? They're trying to conserve innings, and since he was the closer, he didn't throw that much? Like, there's no way he's going to be able to start in the SEC against Florida. Like, what are we talking about? And then he comes out, and his first pitch, it's like there's some effort to it. He's clearly trying to throw hard, and it's like higher tempo. It's like an involved windup, but the head whack is completely gone. And we all look at each other like, how in the world did the pitching coach fix that? Like, we were like, it was so bad, you could try to fix it, but there's no way he would start. You're, you're looking at a 6-1 high school reliever. And what's like, the name he, of this kid? Uh, Carson Fulmer. Carson Fulmer. I'm yeah. writing it down. I, I know how to spell the first name. I'll tell you he that was, right now. He was somewhere between 15 and 20 on the on the draft list I recently put out. Okay. Um, so anyway, I tell that story to explain some scouts now will make fun of the area scouts from three years ago and be like, how could you not imagine that this guy that's this good of an athlete has this good aptitude, this good of makeup, he's actually a good hitter, he runs pretty well, like he does everything well, how could you be so dumb that just because you didn't see him throw a good delivery, why couldn't you imagine that he would? Like that's, that you're trying to project the future. How could you not have like tried to screw with it in a bullpen or in a pre-draft workout to see if he could do that? Yeah. But... If you start taking guys like that with bad high effort deliveries where the only time you've seen them show professional stuff is doing that, you're gonna, like eight out of ten of them are never gonna be able to fix it to the degree you want them to fix it to. Like you don't wanna mess with that. And it's a similar thing with arm actions. Like there have been some guys that have bad arm actions, which by arm action I mean what your arm does in the back after it comes out of your glove but before it's going toward the plate. Oh yeah, they do silly things back there. Yeah, so some guys have bad arm actions. Like Taylor Jordan has weird arm action. Well, I haven't seen him, but I believe you. Yeah, believe me. Just believe me. So there was a guy the Brewers took in the first round named Taylor Youngman from uh, Texas, and he had a real, like, almost like a catcher's arm action, like real short, abbreviated, Mm -hmm. and it was kind of abrupt. 
And so they took him in the first round, and some teams were like, we had him in the second round. He doesn't seem like that kind of guy. And then I saw him, like, I don't know, the, early the next season after they drafted him, and he had a totally normal arm action. And, I was like, and he was throwing just as hard, like 91 to 93. And I was like, how did they do this? Like, typically, scouts think of an arm action as you're kind of born with one, someone hands you a ball, and what you do is what you're supposed to do. And if you try to screw with it, with there's like dozens and dozens of examples that the velocity disappears, the arm falls apart, you get hurt, whatever. And then by the end of that season, he was throwing 86 to 89. And from what I know, I haven't done the Brewers list yet, but at least as early as... As recently as early this season, he was still throwing sort of high 80s, hitting some 90s. Now, that might have happened anyway with his short arm action. That's where they tried to change it. But that's sort of a success in that they changed the arm action, which most teams won't even try to do unless the guy's a total lost cause. You have nothing to lose. Right. And they kind of got away with it. Uh, it remains to be seen if he would be throwing 90 to 94 or whatever it was if you didn't mess with it. it it's hard to know, but... Those two things are kind of seen the same. You don't mess with an arm action, and if a delivery is terrible, you can't make it good. You right, can make it or on average, better. on average, you can't make it good. Maybe, as you're noting, yeah. there are isolated incidents where you have were uh, coaching some combination of coaching and the, I guess the uh, aptitude, the athleticism of the of the player allows you to do it. But it's not something that you're going to spend a first round draft pick on. Believing that this is something you could fix. Yeah, it's the it's the kind of guy that you uh, you know give a spring training invite to on a minor league deal, or you take in the fifth round for a hundred grand. And then another thing to point out is uh, Fulmer's delivery was fixed in a seemingly small window by Vandy's pitching coach. Uh, the last one was hired by the Cubs. He was so good. This one, they had a staff full of first round arms, and he fixed. I think there were three guys on their staff that all had like deliveries that wouldn't let them start long term, and he fixed three of them during the season. Uh, so some of that also was. You get really good pitching coaches uh, that the you know the manager t- trusts, and you can typically do these sorts of things better than you could with a you know a more bumbling organization. I want to talk about. Uh, I want to ask you about development. You 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 noted, and so this is still sort of being sourced from that first paragraph of your twins, <laughs> your twins post, but it, it's of some interest to me w- with regard to developing pitchers as starters, even if you think they might ultimately end up as relievers. Um, I'm curious as to what that does for a young pitcher, allowing him to throw a number of innings at once. Not, not a huge number, but four to five, say, to start relative to, um, to giving him just a number of one or two inning appearances. And I, it, it's impossible for me not to, uh, in, not to here think of the, the Houston Astros, a piggybacking method, and not that they're the ones who invented it, but they're sort of all in in terms of uh, piggybacking starters, you know, well, what, three or four innings each um, at a time, uh, having two guys, you know, go back to back. That seems like, you know, they don't necessarily, I assume they don't expect all of those guys to become major league starters, but they seem dedicated to this proposition of developing a lot of guys like that. Do you, do you have any sense of what that does, allowing a guy to throw a bunch of innings at once as opposed to one inning more frequently? Uh, well, it's tough to say. One thing I should point out, I remember uh, I talked to a scout uh, about that covers the Texas League, and he was telling me, uh, hey, there's this guy on, on the Astros Texas League team. I'm forgetting which one it was, on, if it's Round Rock or whatever it is. Anyway, he was saying that the way that they do it, if you are, what is it, Four, four starters, four piggyback guys, so basically eight pitchers that they're using in almost every game. 
if you're not in that eight-man rotation, it's understood in the industry that that guy can be taken for free. Like, basically, you're on the release list if you're not in that rotation. And he said one of their guys we thought was pretty good at 95, and then one of our guys in the front office called him, and they're like, yeah, you can have him. And they just, like, got him for, you know, like a dollar or whatever is the the typical sort of nothing trade. That actually is common to trade guys for a dollar uh, just to have something to trade them for. Right, in my right. Leagues. Uh, the other thing is I... I don't feel like there's a way to do, like, A-B testing with this. Like, Because like it's said, either one or the other? Yeah, yeah, like, you could say, oh, if this guy threw three to four innings for a five-year period, then X would have happened, and he would have become Y. Or if this guy went to Vanderbilt instead of going to play for the Red Sox, this would have happened, which literally is impossible to know. Like, there's no way to clone him and, oh, ooh, note to self, clone players. <laughs> uh, like, clone him and see which one becomes what. Reminds me of that sitcom Sister, Sister. Anyway, because um, they're twins and they get split up and you yeah, see them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so. But, yeah, so there's a lot of theories, but obviously every player is unique. And so on unless you have a ridiculously big sample of similar players that you've done every possible thing with and a sample that's big enough for each of the types of ways to develop a player, then even then you're not, you know, really adjusting for the interpersonal and did he like this coach and things like that. So it's, you know, it's pretty it's tough. tough to, it's tough to say. There's a lot of different philosophies and a lot of times if, if a pitching coordinator gets unlucky and five guys get hurt in a row, he gets fired. And then they, like you do in the NFL, you fire guys, buddy, buddy with the players. You bring in the military guy after him because you got to try something else. So mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think there's some guys that are better at selling their sort of pitching philosophy and get more chances than other guys relative to how, uh, rigorous their methods are because they're good at selling it to a GM. Like, Hey, we're going to do, you know, top down, this or that synergy, uh, XYZ. And they're like, wow, that sounds good. Let's do that. And then nobody, nobody knows who's good at this. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, even Leo Mazzoni seemed to have, like, he had the sample to know that he's a genius, and then he went to work for some teams other than the Braves, and it didn't really seem to work anymore. Did he become an idiot? Was he not smart to begin with? Like, nobody knows. Yeah, uh, yeah, you don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know, Kylie. One more question. Do we know? <laughs> Let me ask you about some specific players. Uh... Really, the person I want to ask you about is, I think his name is Brandon Polson. Does that sound right? Yes. But I, we're not going to ask you about him yet because I, I, cause I'm also curious about this. You know, just spend forever on it. What is the health status both of Miguel Sano and Brian, uh, Byron Buxton on account? I ask on account of they're not merely the twins top two prospects, but they're two of the best prospects in all of baseball. Are you the prospect guy? I think that's my call, isn't it? Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. Um, yeah, uh, Sano is fine. He's, like, taking ground balls and taking BP, but I, th- I think they said it's still sort of new enough that they don't want him on the field where somebody could potentially run into him and get hurt again. So he's sort of, I guess, full participant as far as doing all of the baseball actions but not actually playing in games. Uh, so the expectation is he'll continue working out this, you know, offseason and all that. Uh, I believe I asked him if he's going to Winter League, and they said no. So I think he's basically not going to play a game until spring training, but he's technically fit to do so. Um, And then Buxton, apparently he's been running around at Instructs and is going to go to the Fall League, so apparently everything's okay, which is kind of surprising that he's recovered so quickly after what looked so bad on video when he ran into that guy. And he didn't... uh, When was the last time he played? Uh, I can... Eh, It's all right. It's not not a big deal. A while ago. Yeah, although I believe he's been playing an Instructs game, so... uh Okay, so he's an Instructs. Oh, Instructs. We talked all about Instructs last Yeah, week. we should talk about Instructs. Have we done that yet? <laughs> well, what is he, down in Fort Myers? Is that where they are? Yeah, the last minor league game he played was August 13th. Okay. Oh, 
So it could have been uh, almost two months, although it was probably less than that, probably more like four to six weeks, which I think is what they said after it happened, and everyone's like, I don't know, I ran full speed head first into a guy with no equipment on. That seems like more than four to six weeks to me. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Try and avoid doing that. Okay, so they're doing that. And, uh, all right, now let's talk. I get to ask you about Brandon Poulsen now. Yes. I, this is uh, this is uh, pitchers. This is the best thing, in my opinion. <laughs> it's uh, or not the absolute best thing, but he is Brandon Polson is a giant person who was at art school. Yes. Um, and throws a hundred miles per hour. Yes. So that's that is a great set of circumstances. It's an amusing set of circumstances from which to start. A charming set of circumstances. Yeah, basically completely unknown, very lightly scouted, only a handful of scouts kind of knew who he was. He went to, I forgot what it was called, but it's basically like the wine country collegiate summer league, (laughs) like the West Coast version of the Cape, except the Cape is the best summer league where almost every guy that's in the starting lineup is on any of the teams will probably play pro ball at some level. In that league, I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> so, well, yeah, and then there's a bunch of between, right? There's like Northwoods and... Yeah, there's like 20 of them, and like three or four of them have like more than two players anyone's heard of. Right. And all the rest of them are kind of garbage, unless every year or two they might get a good player. Well, garbage, I mean, the guys still get to run around and enjoy baseball. <laughs> what? Yeah, they get participation trophies, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, there's, you know, they're still, they're still good. Yeah, at it's, it's like the, the Cape... Team USA, which isn't really a league, but they play at the same time. Northwoods League, NECBL, Alaska League, California League. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all the ones that actually have any good players. Right. With guys, you would probably expect – you can expect they'd be drafted at some point. And, and there's at least 20 summer leagues, and I just named the five that – you know, you could go to the All-Star game for one of these leagues and see five players that are actually interest you. Right. <laughs> like that's – once you get beyond the Cape and the Northwoods League. Um Anyway, so he's essentially anonymous. A tiny school that's never had a player drafted, as far as I know, uh, isn't on the radar at all. And then in this tiny league where there's, you know, barely anyone watching, he hits 100. And he is, hold on, I have, I have it here in my notes. Let me pull it up. Okay, good notes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got notes. Oh, I got notes. Yeah. Uh, he is 24. Uh, but the Twins guys are telling me he's got the arm of like a 19 or 20 year old because he's, you know, hasn't thrown a lot. It's not like he's been throwing 98 for five years and his arm might fall off. He's 6'6", 240. The arm works. He's a good athlete. Uh, good frame, obviously. Surprisingly athletic for his size. Basically nothing other than arm speed right now, but a lot of times these guys will like hit 100 once and then you go see him and they sit 92 to 94. This guy's been hitting 98 regularly in instructs. And actually, the scout I talked to today saw him pitch and said he threw 10 straight balls. So that gives you an idea. It's still pretty raw. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to throw in the high 90s. And if he can develop any kind of off-speed pitch, he could easily find himself on the list next year. But Where was it? Where was he? I, this is the sort of thing, like, I imagine 100 years ago this could happen. <laughs> but you know, right? Because you don't just you just don't have the coverage. Of course, scouting wasn't invented hundred years ago, so that's also probably why. But well, it's because I wasn't there. You weren't. You, Kylan McDaniel wasn't there. <laughs> he was just a glint in his father's 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 eye. So it was way back. It was it was back in uh, Ireland before we got kicked out. <clears throat> the so, yeah. In his, his so seven, how does this happen? How did that happen? In his seven professional innings, he has 13 walks and nine strikeouts. So yeah, it's still pretty raw. Um, yeah, well, it's, I mean, I could read you the Jeff Passon story. Maybe we should bring him back on in, in, in a non-controversial oh, way. Yeah, I podcast. guess that's true, yeah. But from, from, from your point of view, someone who's worked in an organization, someone 
Who, yeah, from my from my recollection of reading the story, it was the area scout had heard there's a guy that threw kind of hard. The coach had been telling him, this guy's pretty good, you should come see him. And then he never did. And then he kind of was like, oh, I'll go check out this summer league. And they're like, yeah, there's a guy hitting 100. Of course, the scout's like, maybe a guy hit 94 if they're lucky. And then he sees a guy throw 100. Which is actually similar. When I was at scout, I wrote an article about... Uh, Shane Green, who the Yankees just brought to the big leagues this year. Oh yeah, Shane Green. He, yeah, he, uh, had a pretty good season with the Yankees. Or at least so, at one point he was having a good season. So here's the short version of Shane Green's story. Uh, I know the, uh, the area scout for the Yankees in Florida, since I live in Florida and I used to work for the Yankees. It's a pretty easy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used to go hunting with Shane Green and Shane Green's dad. He knew him, I believe they worked together or they might have played in the minors or something like that. And, he kept saying, like, oh, I'm going to come scout you one day when he's, like, 12 and 13 and 14. And then he's at a junior college in Daytona, like, an hour or two away. And his dad tells him, like, hey, you need to go see him. And then, like, the coach calls him and goes, this guy's pretty good. You should go see him. But he was coming off a of Tommy John. So he didn't – he's like, this, this kid's not any good. Like, I'll give him a year. Maybe I'll go see him next year. Um, he was on the JV team because he wasn't playing at a junior college because he wasn't playing because he was still coming off a of Tommy John. But he was, like, throwing bullpens, like, a month before the draft. And so eventually the coach keeps calling him, and like the, I think the dad keeps calling him, and he's like, "Look, we got the draft in like two weeks. Like, I don't have time to be driving all over the state to see some guy we're not going to draft. Like, let's not be crazy." Mm-hmm. And like, "All right, we'll come to you." And so, and so they drive to where the scout lives and go on like this backfield and like find some somebody's buddy nearby to catch the bullpen. And the scout's like doing it as a favor. Like he basically happened to get a, a lucky day off for the draft. He gives the radar gun to the pitcher, Shane Green's little sister, to go hold, oh no, to the scout's little sister, to go hold behind the, the screen, because he doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news to tell him that this guy's terrible. Uh-huh. And then he's watching him warm up, and he's like, this ball's coming out of his hand pretty good, like, this looks pretty good. And so he's standing next to him on the mound, like a pitching coach, as he's throwing, and he yells down <laughs> to the little girl behind uh, the fence and goes, how many? And she goes, 93. And he's like, that gun's got to be broken, let me go back there. <laughs> And so I'm telling this guy when he's telling me the story. I'm like, this is a movie. He's like, I know. We got to make this a movie. That's such a good scene. Like, it actually happened too. Yeah, that's that's a great story. And and now Shane Green so, throws. He also throws 93. He he averaged 93 miles per hour in his fastball this year. Yeah. So he goes back there, sees him. Everything looks looks good. And it's like a week before the draft. And he's like, how do we get this guy? So they bring him to the pre-draft workout at the Steinbrenner Field in Tampa, and he does the exact same thing for all the scouts. And they're like. We're good with this. Where did this guy come from? And the scout's like, a uh, JV team at Daytona State Junior College. <laughs> like, how did you find this guy? And so the, the funniest part is, day of the draft, they take this guy, like the 12th or 15th round or something, and uh, all the area scouts are texting this guy, like, who, who is this guy? You're like drafting guys off the JV team, making us look bad? Like, what's going on? And apparently the, like, legendary scout in the area is Tom Kochman, who's Casey Kochman's dad. Oh, he's a, what do they call it, super scout? <laughs> What's his name? What do they call him? Super Scout? I, I call him Tom, but uh, I mean... <laughs> no, but no, there's a term. There's a term. Super uh, Scout. I, I suppose, sure. Anyway, so he used to be with the Angels, and basically any player that the Angels have ever drafted and developed that be, was from Florida, he signs. It was like Jeff Mathis, Pat Corbin, Casey Kochman, uh, some other guys. He's got like the most like legitimate big leaguers of almost any scout in America. So he's buddy-buddy, apparently, with the Daytona State coach, and he was going to see the bullpen that day in Daytona until the kid called an audible and drove to where the Yankee scout lives, or else Tom Cotron would have seen him, and he would have drafted him. That is a... And it was Yankees and Red Sox, too. That's the craziest part. That is a wild confluence of events, Kyle and McDaniel. 
And so I was telling this Yankee scout, I was like, if Shane Green, like, throws a no-hitter in the World Series, like, this is going to be a movie. Like, can I get, like, can I write the story and get an option? Like, I technically wrote the story, so they'd buy my story, right? Mm, yeah, I guess if you, I mean, if you could do that, I guess, Kylie. Well, people have, like, written, like, feature articles for Wired that get optioned into movies. Like, they just need some sort of source material to look at. I want to ask you about both Le- Le- Levi Michael. Yes. Is that how I'm going to pronounce his name? You go for it, yeah. That's, yeah. that's all you Levi Michael and Otterlin, Otterlin, Otterlin Mejia? Close enough, yeah. Aderlin? How would you, you say it? I'd probably say Otterlin. Otterlin, yeah. Uh, these guys, they almost, uh, uh, in terms of what they are able to do on a baseball field, uh, offensively, I should say, they're nearly identical. And you know that I am the sort of person who, for example, is uh, very enthusiastic about uh, Tommy La Stella, right? Yeah, well, it's mostly because you're Italian like him, right? Yeah, we're both Italian, sure, and uh, of Italian descent. But also Tommy Lestella is a sort of you, player... You could sell it better if you'd be like, hey, I'm Italian. He he controls the plate uh, uh, magnificently, does Tommy Lestella. Yes. And uh, one thing about both Le- Levi Michael and Adderland Mejia is that they both control the plate magnificently. Yes. But they also have, like, maybe even less power than Tommy Lestella. That is correct. Uh, Tommy Lestella is probably like a fringe to 50 raw power guy. Levi Michaels, 45, but it plays down in games. Mejia's maybe a 40, probably a little less than that. Yeah, so I mean, there has to be uh, – I mean, I tend to, again, be very enamored of oh, – Are an, you torturing a dog? No, I have an irritating dog. I'm going to give her a rawhide. I'll be right back. You you can uh, – yeah, we'll be, just uh, don't worry about it. See, I was going to sing the Rawhide song, but I, the only words I know for the song Rawhide is the word Rawhide. So, hmm. He's probably going to edit this part out. I'm going to take a drink. Oh, a fun interlude for the listener. I'm going to ask uh, I'm gonna ask Carson how to pronounce a name. I'm going to tell you guys how it's. It's, it's spelled Chargois, C-H-A-R-G-O-I-S. It's pronounced Shagwa. I heard you the whole time. Yes. The, the, uh, <laughs> but that's a, that's if that was in my wheelhouse though because it's a French descent. Okay, so, so I, I probably would have been I probably would have nailed that. Um, okay, all I, right. I was saving that for the closer, but I guess I ruined that. No, you did. Yeah, you did. I was, I was spying on you during our own podcast. The the um, were there any words I was forgetting to the song Rawhide, or is it just Rawhide? Like I didn't hear that. I didn't hear that part. I said I would, the interlude was going to be me singing the song Rawhide, but the only words I know are the word Rawhide. Rollin', rollin', rollin'. Oh, that's right. There's rollin'. What, so, so there has to be a baseline. I mean, it's all, I guess the, uh, all these parts are interactive. But the, when, when a guy has so little power, that, must, that puts even more pressure on his ability to make contact and draw yes. walks, yes? The phrase you hear a lot would be, knock the bat out of his hands. Uh, so if guys in the Florida State League, the average pitcher is probably like 88 to 92, something like that. Uh, if these guys can't necessarily locate good breaking stuff and they have average fastballs, these guys can control the zone. If all of a sudden they're facing every other day, they're facing a guy that throws 92 to 95 and then a string of relievers, can they control the zone where they're basically don't have the bat speed to consistently stay on that pitch and also hit the off-speed pitch? And if they just keep throwing hard stuff inside and they can't get around on it because they don't have bat speed or they have to cheat and then they're exposed on the other side, like, 
it's one of the things I wrote about in the in the hit series where people are like, well, you don't have to have plus bat speed to hit a plus fastball. And I'm like, no, you don't. But if you're an everyday player in the big leagues facing a couple thousand pitches and you're deficient in some way, they're going to figure it out, and it's probably not going to take very long. And so if you've got average at best bat speed and, like, 35 or 40 raw power and, like, a line drive swing and you control the zone well when guys have fringy to average stuff, once guys have above average to plus stuff, which obviously not every pitcher in the big leagues does, but half of them do, um, then all of a sudden you're going to be basically on your heels the whole time, and it's hard to control the zone and slow the game down and all that when you're on your heels the whole time. So when you see a guy that shows some good skills and shows some contact ability and shows an ability to control the zone but doesn't have those big hitting tools and has no power, scouts just assume it's not going to work. And sometimes it does work, but often it doesn't. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say that because uh, this is uh, a nice parallel to the point you were making earlier about um, fixing a, a pitcher's arm action in the sense that uh, sometimes it, yeah, sometimes you can fix a, a pitcher's arm action for the better, and sometimes maybe it does work. But you're going, you know, it's your responsibility if you're drafting, if you're looking for players to sign, to bet on the averages, I guess, at some point, especially, you know, relative, and of course this is all, um, it's all within the context of how much money you're spending on. If you can get them for a dollar and you think, well, yeah, maybe we can fix them, then that's that's a reasonable risk. But first round draft pick, not so much. Yeah, and that's all goes back to sort of the philosophy of, uh, how to acquire players, and then also, like, me making a list. Do you want to take the super high upside guy that's raw that could be something or could be embarrassing and be released in two years and never get no, never hit 200 in rookie ball? Or do you want to take the 22-year-old college grinder with, like, fringe tools that's going to get the most out of them that will probably top out at double A? Guys like me tend to take the, the upside guy mm-hmm. because guys like you can easily tell who the grinders are because it's like, oh, this guy went in the 20th round and – He's got good numbers, but he's got no power, mm-hmm. and he kind of plays up the middle, but he doesn't steal any bases. Like, you can pretty much figure out who that guy is. Whereas the guy that hits 190 in rookie ball and signed for 600,000, you're like, I don't really know what that is. Like, that could be a lot of different things. And, and also there's this sort of built-in thing where if, if the, uh, if the grinder from, uh, <laughs> now I'm hungry for a sandwich. If the grinder from college ends up being good, then I could be like, well, yeah, but, He's not going to be an everyday player. Like he'll be, you know, like a like, like a fringe everyday guy at best. And you know, it's easy to see these kinds of guys coming. It's just hard to pick the one that's going to make it. Whereas if the random guy that's one nineteen rookie ball makes it, I'm supposed to thump my chest and tell everyone how smart I am. Which is funny because it would be based on what other people told me. But that's sort of like the the feedback loop on prospect stuff. Is you get to thump your chest if you're right three years later about that guy. Mm-hmm. But if you're right about the grinder because he was hitting you know like a thousand OPS in rookie ball at 21, like everyone's like, well yeah, because he had a thousand OPS in rookie ball. Like come on. So so I'm incentivized to take those kinds of guys, but I also would tend to take those guys anyway. Uh, let's talk about one last thing before you go. Um... In that is uh, the Arizona Fall League, briefly. Yeah. The season begins, uh, it, it will have begun by uh, by the next time we speak. Yes, and you almost said that like one of those dramatic voiceovers on SportsCenter. The yeah. season begins. Yeah, the season begins. But here's a, uh, uh, here's the thing, um, is that I think you're going to be there at some point. Yes, I'm going later in the season because it turns out there's a lot of uh, – high school and international July 2 stuff happening in Florida early in the season. So I have to stay here to see that. I think, I think I, uh, I, there's a possibility I will be going too, Kylie McDaniel. I've heard some rumors. Yeah. I would like to go to that. And 
I would like to I would like to go to that. That, that was, a, was yeah, a Tina Fey thing. It was a limit, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to go to there. I've always wanted to go to there, and uh, this might be the time. And um, what uh, what's there to see down there uh, during that Arizona fall? Like, what, what's like a what's like a day as a as a talent evaluator in in Phoenix during that season? Uh, well, I've only gone once okay. because last year uh, I can give you my experience. Yeah. Uh, so. I tend to stay toward the east part of town, where I believe four of the six stadiums are. Okay. Uh, and it's also, you don't want to stay downtown because it's expensive. You don't want to stay in the north or west areas close to the other two stadiums because there's, like, nothing there, and you're far away from the other stadiums. Whereas south and east, you got sort of the cooler area. You're, you're near some stuff. Uh, and t- listen, I've, I've stayed in uh, Tempe uh, yes, for a couple this is the south or eastern area, yes. Yes, and Tempe actually is uh, quite nice. There's a there's a um, there's a coffee like a, a local coffee chain, the name of which I'm forgetting. Well, uh, Keith Law is the guy to go to for all this stuff because he used to live in that south or eastern area. I believe he was in Chandler. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, and uh, I, I actually was uh, not not uh, disappointed in in Tempe. I thought it was quite yeah, nice. and I remember I think he was telling me there's a breakfast place, a coffee place. And a one is it wasn't yogurt because he's not a yogurt guy. I believe it was the uh, whatever the Italian version of yogurt is. Uh, it was that gelato. Uh, there we go. That uh, the other thing, the place you have to go if you go there is Pizzeria Bianco, which is known by some to be the best pizza in America. It depends what kind of pizza you like and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's at least notable to where you have to go to it while you're out there. Which I went there last year and I will go again this year. Maybe twice. Who knows? Okay. All right. But besides that, though, so so you, what do you do? You wake up. Do you, now are yeah. there besides the I wake games, up each day. Yes. Besides the games. Uh, besides the games, are there is there stuff going on in terms of uh, backfield stuff or anything like that? Yeah, Instructs is happening at the beginning. By the time I'll be there around the All-Star game, which is like week four out of six, so I believe Instructs will be over by then. Uh, but there's also a high school tournament happening, at the, uh, I believe, during the second or third week, Arizona Senior Fall Tournament, which is like last year, Alex Jackson, a couple like top 50 picks were there. Um, so there's always sort of stuff going on. Every day, all the teams play, except they all skip Sundays. And depending on the day, they might all three play at the same time. Other days, they'll play at different times. So you could go see BP game, and then if you leave the first game early, you go get BP a game of the second game. Obviously, when there's six teams, or you could get two games and two BPs a day, you can knock out all the teams in like four days, and then spend, I usually go for a week, and then spend the last couple sort of, uh, you know, doubling back, maybe you missed a pitcher, that kind of thing. Right. You can basically see the whole league, and usually if they play for a little bit or you have a little inside dope from teams, you can figure out these are the six pitchers I need to see and just sort of set your days up ahead of time. These are the six games I go to and then set up your other days around, you know, sort of filling in your holes. Oh, that's great. That's yeah, a, it's, a good, it's a good setup. Yeah, and we have two writers that live out there and I think two other ones that will be going uh, for like a week themselves, so... We're going to have that blanketed. So here's a question I have: If I end, do end up going, uh, will you? I, I, I don't want to get in the way, but will you? Uh, uh, would you do? Would you be available for tutoring essentially at certain points? Yeah, no. I, if you listen to this podcast, I like nothing more than talking about myself. So. Yeah, right. Well, we could, but we could also uh, render some of that into uh, audio. And, uh, I, I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, would, that would seem like an easy solution. But also justify my presence there. I think, from a working point of view. Well, I've already justified mine via Marriott points, so I don't have any more justification to make. Oh yeah, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to do it. Congratulations, Tommy Listella. Look at this guy. Look at this McDaniel over here. Oh, I have, I have a couple more things to to hit before we go. Okay, great. 
Um, so I got a text from uh, old Clint Longenecker of Baseball America asking me, hey, I, uh, I heard the podcast where you were talking about the scout that was talking about uh, pooping and eating. Uh, was it, and then he says the guy's name, and he was right on the first guess. <laughs> okay, so there's a guy who likes pooping. <laughs> and so much so, Clint hasn't lived in Florida for years, and he knew who it was immediately. So I thought that was pretty funny. Okay. And also, now that I know, you know, that Clint listens. How you doing, Clint? What's going on? <laughs> Bonjour, Clint. Yes. Um, the other thing was, in, the, in addition to me being shamed into realizing I forgot to put uh, the Taiwanese pitcher whose name I have forgotten on the Twins list, uh, I also got in the comments somebody said something uh, that I've had said to me over the last few weeks, which is, you're doing these lists like one per ten days, which if you continue at this pace, you'll finish the 30th team by the time it's time to start doing this again next year. <laughs> Can you go a little faster, please? Yeah. Valid points, people. Now, your mistake was thinking that I did not realize this. Yeah. So here's my short answer. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so the first couple of weeks, I was going to uh, sort of double or triple up and do three teams all at the same time so that once I do one, the next one could come a few days later and a few days after that. I wanted to make sure I had the process down, sort of had the people that I can trust to be getting in touch with for many of these lists. And also I was doing the draft list, doing some international stuff, trying to hire some people, you know, sort of setting up the systems as it were. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking about doing that at the beginning, but I was like, you know, let me take this one at a time, sort of work out how I'm doing it. I am now switching to multiple teams at the same time. So the next three teams are the Astros, the Red Sox and the Cubs. And we're going to see how quickly I can do this. But uh, basically today, actually, well, I'll do a little work on the Astros tonight because they're next, but my first call for the Astros is tomorrow. And uh, well, we can use this podcast as a way to evaluate my work. I'd like to think I can do those three in the next 10 to 14 days. Oh, and nice. then at that pace, I'd be able to finish them all in, you know, a couple of months. So when do you think the, so when do you think the Astros list is coming out? Uh, I would say next Wednesday. Okay. And then if I do it right, See, the problem is the Red Sox and Cubs are next, and they're both really deep. Okay. So it might be like Monday and Wednesday of the next week for those two. There are a lot of uh, pitchers to choose from in terms of a in a fringe capacity from the Astros. Of course, many of them might be making your list. I have a question. Where is Thomas Shirley on your list? Not yet. Okay. I've, I've gone through and sort of picked the, the scouty names and made sure I got them all written down and the big bonus guys. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I guess giving you my process. So for some teams that's 30, for some teams that's 50. Uh, and then I go through each roster and sort of pick out the guys that look like they could be interesting so I know who to ask about. And then I go do all my scout calls. So I'll talk to, you know, three or four guys with the team, three or four scouts from outside, talk to our writers who have usually seen at least one of the affiliates. Uh, and then, and then take like a day to kind of compile all that stuff. So as you're hearing, this process shouldn't take more than three or four days. It's just a lot of times of the eight or nine guys I talk to, some of them will be like, well, I'm busy, or, I'm busy until six days from now, then I can talk to you. So that's what kind of held me up when I was doing one at a time. So hopefully this will remedy that situation. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Or else I'm going to finish, it'll be like, uh, doing the windows in the Empire State Building. Once you finish it, you gotta start again. That's, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But that's, I remember Jim Cowles told me that when I told him I was doing this last year. He told you about Empire State Building? Yeah, he was like, I used to be a window washer and, oh, what a, what a racket. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was telling me, like, that when you're doing these lists for the first time, you won't necessarily have that immediate feel for how much detail I can go into and how long I should take days wise. Cause the first one might be quicker, be quicker, but then you realize after you've done five, you're like, at this pace, I'll finish team 30 on, you know, blank. And if you look like how Baseball America does it, I don't think anyone does more than four or five lists, and most of them do less than that. 
And so you've got, like, what, almost six months to do those five lists, like, if technically. Uh, so it's, you know, a little easier. And I don't, I don't think anyone has done, like, one person do all 30 teams and do more than 10 guys, uh, in a while. I think Kevin Goldstein did a top 10 with some extra names. And obviously Keith Law does a version of it, but he doesn't write up every single guy. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily like a model there for me to work off of, but hopefully I can figure one out in the next couple of weeks. Carl says it's going to take forever. Yeah, it's going to. Yeah. Or, or maybe you just curl up in the fetal position and start weeping. It's always an option. It's always just sitting there. I got it in a it's holster, ready to go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, well, you know, take advantage of it if you need to. Yeah. Hey, you excited to – oh, baseball is uh, starting, I believe. Yeah, um, and I'm actually about to go meet some uh, some friends for some uh, frivolity and whatnot. So I, yeah. I, I I gotta go. That sounds pretty good. When do, what time does that game start? Looks like five thirty-five. Oh yeah, that's Tigers. Tigers and then Royals Angels play. Hey, how about that Brandon Finnegan, huh? Yeah. How about that? Yeah, that looks pretty good. By the way, I, I like the uh, the interaction here with the background noise when you're playing with that squeak toy. Uh, it's really I apologize, but this dog is just just looks at me sometimes. So what what are you doing? You See, looking? I've always grown up with dogs, and uh, now since I travel, I can't have one. And I actually, I got, I had some frivolity with friends last night too, and we went to an outdoor bar where they brought their dog, and I think I talked to their dog more than I talked to them. Yeah, I'm having dog withdrawal. It's weird. Yeah, well, I, I myself love dogs, and uh, have have not had one for since I've you know lived at home. So this has been a great pleasure. You know, if we were going to make a name for this podcast, we could make it Must Love Dogs. Okay. Has that been used for anything yet? No. Must, must, say it again, say it again. Must love dogs. Must love dogs. Must, must love dogs. Are you saying must? Are you, are you an alien? Are you not getting this? Are you saying must love, must, yeah, M-U-S-T? Yeah, it's a crappy rom-com with John Cusack, that's the joke. It's a, it's a, yes, it's a romantic comedy you're saying? Yeah. Must love dogs. That's maybe in the advertisement. You, you just took that joke and just took, like, a meat cleaver to it and just, like, beat it to death. That's not the way you're talking about, Kyla McDaniel. You know what I mean? Get your drinking in line. But, yeah, I got to get this under control. All right. All oh, right. by the way, tomorrow, uh, Yankees uh, Instructs closes, so uh, whew, a big day for me. Yeah, it sounds like a big day. We've been talking about those Instructs all the time. Yeah. Well, Kylie, they... get, Kylie, Kylie. Yeah, yeah. Get off this podcast. Much like Harrison Ford in Air Force One, get off my plane. Okay. That is uh, that is Kylie McDaniel, Led Prosper. We're going to thank him now. Thank you, Kylie, for appearing on uh, yet another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mazel tov to the listeners. That is Kylie McDaniel. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio.